0: What's up, everybody? Welcome back to Storytime with Uncle Reddit. My name's John, and this is Tales from Tech Support. I'm glad you all enjoyed having Bubba as a guest reader the other night along with me. Uh, Yeah, she was a good babysitter. She kept me mostly out of trouble. Although, she should have been around for the edit so that I could cut out some of the things that I probably shouldn't have said on YouTube, but eh, whatever. And for those of you that were inquiring, Bubba is one of my daughters. Um, She is the third one down in age from the oldest, so yeah. And for those of you that watch my other channel, uh, Storytime with Uncle Reddit MC, sorry that I did not get a malicious compliance video out yesterday. I spent the whole night before in the ER with a family member. Uh, nothing serious. Uh, <laughs> it's, it's a funny story, but I gotta let it age a little while before I can share it. So, uh, yeah, we'll do that someday. All right, guys, let's read some stories. When confusion fixed the problem, Two days ago, I've gotten a video call from a relative. She accidentally yanked the extension cord while the computer was shutting down. The next time she tried starting it, Windows got stuck at Automatic Repair Boot Loop. I asked her to reproduce the problem while on the call and indeed it shows that. No blue screens or any error message. I had her bring the computer to me since I obviously couldn't use any desk or team viewer to help her remotely. Also not only is it convoluted, but she also doesn't have the resources to guide her. back up her stuff and do a reinstall. 30 minutes later she shows up with the computer. I plug it in, insert a flash drive with Ubuntu to back her stuff up via live session and then press the key to invoke the boot menu. The first thing on the list that shows up is Kingston. I know that my flash drive is a Kingston so without a second thought I've selected that one. It booted into Windows. At first I was like what the hell? Then shortly after I realized that the computer also has a Kingston SSD in addition to a Seagate hard drive. I've always thought that the thing only had a Seagate hard drive in it. I tried booting into Windows for about 10 seconds before now showing a blue screen with an error code saying inaccessible boot device. Shortly after seeing that error message I had an aha moment. Then I proceeded to span the F2 key upon reboot to go to the BIOS. From there I navigated to SATA mode. My suspicion was right. For some reason the machine was set to IDE mode. I changed that to AHCI and saved and rebooted. That fixed the problem. If I didn't get confused between my Kingston USB and the machine's Kingston SSD, I would have wasted 2-3 to three hours backing her stuff up, doing a reinstall, and then restoring her stuff back. I guess I got lucky on that one. The whole process only took about 30 minutes. Yeah man, I'll take luck any day. I am skilled at certain things in this life, but there are certain times that I'm also very lucky, and I'll take that just the same. In fact, half the time I'm doing something completely unrelated to a problem that I got stumped on previously, and uh, while I'm working on the new project, all of a sudden I have my aha moments and I discover a fix or a reason for the problem I was having before, which is totally unrelated, so somehow the brain's funny, man. I don't know. My new favorite person. User submitted a ticket for an issue relating to a recent project where we migrated their RDS solution to AVD. The change affected one of their LOB apps. The fix was dead simple, but I had to call like 35 users to apply the fix. By about the 26th user, I was going a little nutty. Them. Hello? Me. Hello, this is OP with company name. I understand your application isn't working. Them. That's right. I keep getting this weird error. Me. No problem. I can fix that. Do I have permission to remote onto your system? Then, you sure do. Six minutes later, everything's fixed. I go to say goodbye and the dreaded words seared into my brain weasel their way out of my mouth. Me, is there anything else I can help you with today? Then, actually there's one thing. Damn it. Me, what's that? Then, there's this weird thing going on with my printer. Damn it, damn it. Well, what's happening? Then, it won't scan right, and every so often pages get skewed. It's not every time though. At this point I'm resigned to the painful fact that I will have to spend who knows how long fixing this printer. But then the user says something amazing. Something that makes my heart soar. Them. should I submit another ticket for that issue? Me. Uh, yes. Yes you should. Unfortunately I have to call a lot more people about this project issue. But if you submit a ticket, another tech will be able to help as soon as they're available. Them. That's what I was thinking. Okay, I'll submit a ticket for the printer issue. Good luck on your other calls. If only everyone were like her. Ah, oh, well, a tech can dream. I love it when people kind of can see the writing on the wall, or they're just sticklers for following protocols and procedures. Um, you know, they knew the deal. You're supposed to submit a ticket for each issue, not, you know, keep piggybacking on the same one. Good for you, man. And good for them for being cooperative. Sorry bud, you'll need a new PC. Hey Tales tails from Tech Support, longtime Uncle Reddit Watcher and first time poster. Hey that's me. Had one of my friends a few weeks ago call me asking if I could help his dad with some computer related stuff. I replied, Yeah, sure thing. And got into a Discord call with him, and he put his dad on speakerphone. Dad. Hello, I was wondering how I could go about upgrading to the latest version of Windows. My computer has become very slow. Me. Alrighty then, about when did you buy your computer? I asked this because I was originally thinking his hard drive was dying and he may need some hardware upgrades. I deal with this sort of situation a lot. Also, Windows 11 can be finicky with certain computers. I didn't expect his reply. Dead. Let's see, um... I bought it in 1997 and upgraded to the second version of Windows 98 in 1999. I was shocked and amazed that he was using that thing up to this point, with dial-up internet service too. I had a little laugh and replied... Yeah, sorry mate, but you're going to have to buy a new computer. He asked me why and I proceeded to explain how as computers progressed, more sets of advanced instructions were added to the processor so that a task that would take his computer several minutes could be done in a few seconds. Since the newer version of Windows uses these instruction sets, it's impossible to upgrade to the latest version without replacing almost all parts. I could have made it a little more simple, but that's just what I came up with at the time. He understood the explanation surprisingly well and we talked about what he uses his PC for, mostly just email and some older games, along with where he bought it and how much it was back then. Apparently he's only taken it to the repair shop once to fix the CD drive. It was a very nice chat. Eventually I recommended to buy a PC from Facebook Marketplace and eventually settled on an older machine running Windows 7 to ensure compatibility with his old games. I guided his son through the setup and transfer of his old files. Thank god Windows 98 has USB drive support. I then got on a video call with his son to help transfer the dial up card so he wouldn't have to change his service, which also went very smoothly. We spent some more time chatting about my background in computers and so far everything seems to be running fine, but they sure don't build those computers like they used to. Wait, he got a fairly modern computer and he's still on dial up. I mean, I guess if he's only doing email, who cares? I'll bet you most of the games, since they're older, are local games on his machine anyway, so... I guess, you know, you dial up, let your email download, turn it off, I guess you're good to go. If you're not doing anything else online, then who cares? And if you can get it cheap, all the better. Dusty keyboard? Just spray it with WD-40. I work for a rather large manufacturing plant in Ohio. While it's a fairly clean environment, it does still have areas that don't see much traffic and accumulate dust. I'm responsible for the computer hardware on site and troubleshooting any related issues. I got called on site to this location off normal hours due to an issue impacting production. The end user had just the day before treated me like crap because I wasn't allowed to provide her with a free additional laptop charger simply because she didn't want to transport hers back and forth between work and home. She ended up being the one to take me out to the floor and show me the machine with the issue. Upon arrival, the keyboard was very dusty. No problem. I wasn't really worried about it. She decides it's too dusty and immediately grabs the canned air on the same table as the keyboard and starts to spray it without reading the label. Turns out the can had WD-40 in it. I was flabbergasted and didn't really know how to respond. She acted really confused and asked me what had happened and I simply said, I think you just sprayed the keyboard with lubricant. This was not the first run-in I've had with the user and previous employees in my position have a similar experience. It was fun to see her do something so completely stupid. I'm not even sure she realized how stupid it was, to be honest. Yeah, truly stupid users don't know when they've done something stupid. Like when I do something stupid, which, you know, isn't all that infrequent. At least I'm somewhat smart enough to know that I goofed up. I may not always admit it out loud, but in my head I know it. Nobody tells anyone anything, and expected chaos ensues. Context I was an AV tech and photographer on a volunteer basis for an organization. I also did freelance post production and digital design and photography work. I've been cleaning up my collection of hard drives and found this story on my notes that I haven't posted. Setup I'm scheduled for a meeting with a post production client. The same day, I'm also called in to be emergency AV tech for two presenters. One uses microphones only. The other uses technology, somewhat. I've scheduled a meeting with post-production client for two weeks, as is the nature of the job, especially with the untested workflows and unfamiliar software. Yay, limited resources. I've run into technical issues and have to use the last day to finish and deliver the project before the meeting. The day before the meeting, I find out that the previous volunteer for a specific event is not able to be there for the event, and boss has a previous commitment. I end up being called in and plan on doing my work during the two events requiring just microphones. All things being evil, evil, equal, evil. Everything goes wrong. Oh, I get it. Well, I was able to get a third of the work done during the first event while more things were being added to the volunteer requirements. It's when the second event happens after lunch that things go wrong. Now we have a full AV system, including projector, soundboard, light board, that's never used because of possible code violations and only one person bothering to read a 15 page manual and a laptop, assuming we have enough notice to have it all on site. We also have assistive hearing technology that we're requiring any groups or guests to use. We didn't expect that afternoon's presenter to have their own projector and computer. We support computers, mostly, because of presenters bringing in their own weird files or whatever. So I go and set it up, and their laptop shuts down. Minor inconvenience, so I restart it. The screen stays black, projector's off. At this point, I'm the only person who's representing this organization with 50 people gathering in the room for this presentation. We need to get this long presentation going. I give up and shut down my complicated software and open up PowerPoint and plug it into the system. After all, I don't have time to grab the dedicated laptop stored in a secret locked room in the locked office across campus. Lo and behold, it works. After plugging in the adapter and unplugging it and replugging it in, I give up. Write an email to boss explaining that maybe the AV laptop should stay with the system and it should be required to have at least 24 hours advance notice for any and all technology presenters may use. The policy is put in place. Post-production client gets files a day late and I drink. Well, I'll drink to that, but not today. Uncle Reddit doesn't heal as fast as he used to. That video from the other day, <laughs> uh, I made it through. It was a hard read to begin with. Uh, on a normal day, it would be a hard read that night. It was, uh, it was pretty complicated. And then trying to edit was even worse because, uh, yeah, I, I mean, I, you could tell I left some goofy things in there, messed up some timing, but we had some fun. It'll be all right. Yeah. I remember when I used to run AV and sound and everything, um, for a church, somebody was always bringing in a thumb drive, an external hard drive, a laptop, something to hook up to do presentations, whether it was a, a missionary from the field that was coming in to do a show and, you know, ask for money or whatever. Or some weird microphone set up that, you know, we could have hooked it up real simply, but this person thought that they needed to do it their way and we'd have, you know, four or five hundred feet of extra cable laying everywhere so people could trip and fall. After a while, you just got to start putting your foot down and making rules and say, that's it. That's it. Well, we're going to do it like this. And if you come in last minute with stuff... If I think I can get it done, I'll tell you, but if I can't, I'm going to tell you that too. Yep. Please have your computer print this list. Back in the mid-1960s, when there was no email and computers were not well understood, our hospital data processing IT department got a typewritten list of names and addresses attached to a typewritten memo asking, Please have your computer print these on sticky labels. It was for a fundraising mailing by one of the several hospital departments. It would have required the names and addresses to be key punched onto cards and then have a program print them onto a pin feed roll of labels on the computer's printer. Instead, the department manager politely, in a typewritten response, explained that all computer requests had to go through the automation committee, whose next meeting was in three weeks. The response was sent back in an intra-office envelope with a roll of pin feed labels that they could type on for their mailing. You know, I often say that I was born a couple of decades too late. You know, there's certain things about the 50s and 60s that I kind of enjoyed. think I would have enjoyed anyway. Not that I was there. But then, you know, we hear stories like this and I'm thinking, yeah, I would have hated to be around those computers. And I don't type well, so typewriters and me just, no. Just no. I want to shank whoever wired up one of our buildings. This story actually happened earlier today so i'm still slightly aggravated just a bit anyway i work in a manufacturing company and we have some ancient tech that needs a network connection one of the devices has stopped connecting to the network after some maintenance so i head over to check it out there's no way to tell on the device itself if it has a connection or anything of that sort so i decided the first step would be to see what's going on at the switch see if there's activity lights blinking etc Except I had forgotten that whoever wired up this building was actually a demonic entity who sustains themselves on pure chaos. The plate at the wall was labeled 9D. I head over to the network closet and take a look, only to remember that nothing in the networking closet has a letter designation. Easy enough, just look for the 9. Except the wire numbering makes absolutely zero sense. We have two patch panels in this building. The first one starts at 2 and goes 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 89... Seventy, then a wire labeled both forty-four and seventy-one, before going to fifty-four, fifty-six, and fifty-seven, then counts back down from fifty-three to thirty-eight. How do you think the second panel is labeled, dear reader? If you guessed filling the gaps between eight and thirty-eight, you'd be mostly correct. However, I bet you didn't guess that it started back at two, thus causing duplicates of two through eight. Well, I figured at the very least was well, I figured at the very least this would give me cable number nine. Nope. This panel also skips 9, along with a few other seemingly random numbers, so it can fit 2-38 through on a 24-port panel. So in all, I had 7 duplicate cables, a completely nonsensical number scheme, a layout that makes no sense, and no damn cable number 9. I decided to just break out the cable tester rather than figure out what in God's name these people were trying to do, so I could find my wire 9, this guy. I live in a house that was built in 1928. And I don't know if you've ever lived in an older house, but let me tell you something. Over this almost hundred years this house has been standing, the wiring's been somewhat changed, sometimes upgraded, sometimes patched, sometimes added onto, and And uh, it's a mess. I've still got a couple old circuits, like the, the panels are all new. But some of the old wiring still works going to old receptacles and some old wiring going to new receptacles. We got most of the receptacles and lighting rewired completely in this house and abandoned a lot of the old wire, but uh yeah, makes me glad I'm a carpenter. If I can smack it with a hammer, I'll I'll be fine. You've been listening to Storytime with Uncle Reddit. If you enjoy this content, be sure to follow my podcast. I upload new episodes at least three times a week.